Welcome to the Bullcast Podcast. I'm Katie Pickler, and with me is Cameron Span. Oh, hello. How are you, Katie? Welcome Hi. back. Hey, yeah, I'm glad to be back. I've missed you guys. I missed you. And Court wins it. Hey. <laughs> hey. Okay, so what are we talking about today, guys? Dysmorphia. Is that like Disturbia? Some people probably more than less have heard of body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. You see yourself in the mirror as being fat when you're really actually really, really skinny or something. And uh, that's what leads to things like anorexia and so forth. But what we have now today to discuss is money dysmorphia. I just need to make sure I said that right. Is that where your dollar looks fatter than it actually is? This is another jargon term. This is another mm. phrase going out there. And as we get through this episode, you're going to kind of find out what it is, because a lot of these phrases, a lot of these episodes we've done, it's not new concepts. It's not new things. It's, you know, when we talked about the girl math thing, it was really rationalizing. And that's been around for forever. And so this episode is going to kind of talk about this term and what it means. And again, we try and stay kind of trendy with what's going on in the world. And so this is a trendy term. But before we get into that, we've got movies about keeping up with the Joneses, because obviously body, see, again, see? money, yeah, <laughs> money dysmorphia is obviously you've got a different um, perception of what your real financial situation is. And so a lot of times with finances, with social media, with X and Instagram and all that stuff like that, influencers, how are they affording all that stuff? Uh, you know, Blake Lively, I noticed very strategically comments were made about her outfit at the Super Bowl and how she had, I mean, she looked fabulous. All her bracelets and necklaces? All her bracelets and necklaces that were like ridiculous amounts of money, but she was very transparent in her Instagram post and put... All my borrowed jewelry. Mm -hmm. So she did not own all that, which that happens a lot well, with she celebrities. Probably tagged the jeweler, didn't she? Yeah, uh, that, I mean, it? when you look at red carpets and stuff like that, the designers are loaning the dresses. The jewelry store is loaning that. I remember the bag maker loans the bag. The shoe, the shoemaker loans the shoes. <laughs> the cobbler <laughs> <laughs> loans. The yeah, for the most part, they're not decked out in stuff that they own. The big stars. It's interesting when you are a little star and you maybe get are, are getting invited to the Oscars for the first time. It's it's funny that you, you don't necessarily have the same experience as those big stars, but the big stars are wearing designers that want to get their stuff out there, right? Influencers are being given things to talk about on social media. So it, you don't have to keep up with those people. Yeah, so that's kind of going with our list, the movies about keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with the Blake Livelys of the world. Mm, um, I'd like to I mean, keep I'd up love with Gabe. To, I'd love to keep up with her. <laughs> So, uh, Cam, start our list. All right, we're going to start off with a movie called Keeping Up with the Joneses, which I've never seen. It's a film made in 2016. This action comedy takes a literal approach to the idiom following a suburban couple, Zach Galifianakis and Isla Fisher, whose seemingly perfect new neighbors, John Hamm and Gal Gadot, Gal Gadot, mm -hmm. Gal Gadot, Gal Gadot, <laughs> turn out to be secret agents. Ooh, I like this. Yeah. As they get caught up in the couple's thrilling espionage escapades, they also grapple with their own insecurities and desires for a more exciting life. Now, this it's movie didn't do well, but I thought it was good. I loved good. it. I've never I heard of this. What it was really good. I thought um, it was funny. Yeah, yeah, but it is. It's one of those that they are kind of envious of their neighbors, and she feels like her life is very boring, mm -hmm. and she sees how exotic, because it's, you know, Isla Fisher's this cute little like redhead and she's mm. like a very suburban housewife yeah. and then you've got Gal Gadot. 
gal coming in, like, oh, tall, like, mysterious Wonder Woman. Woman. And I suppose the same thing could be said of John Hamm. John Hamm, yeah. Versus uh, Zach. To be fair. Um, but yeah, so that, but it's a good movie. It's, it's, it's a great fun, movie. Yeah. Okay, this next one is The Joneses. Mm-hmm. Um, this is David Duchovny and uh, Demi Moore. And I've seen this one before. This is actually, they are given a fake family. Mm-hmm. And so they've got fake children and they are implanted into certain neighborhoods. And this is like a marketing company behind them. Interesting. That will send them certain outfits, send them certain products and stuff like that. And so they're, they're all working, but their job is like, like the kid is supposed to have gotten some new toy and go and like talk to all his buddies about it. And it's very interesting because the other neighbors are trying to keep up with them. Mm-hmm. And then you start unraveling that, you know, somebody cashed in their 401k to buy the car that David's driving now. Mm-hmm. Or the women are trying to keep up with the mom's like fitness journey or her new outfits. And so it's it's a very interesting look at it. Mm. I wouldn't say it's like, you know, a five star great movie, but it's interesting. So next on the list is uh, it's uh, it's a little more of a stretch as far as keeping up with the Joneses, but the Stepford Wives. Uh, I guess it doesn't really matter which version you talk about, but since I've only seen one, I'm going to talk about the one I've seen, and that's the 2004 version yeah. with uh, Nicole Kidman and Matthew Broderick. And um, it has the, a big cast in it because it's got Faith Hill in there. Yeah, I mean, and... you've got to have a bunch of people to play all of the Stepford Wives. So mm-hmm. a couple moves to a community that is basically seemingly perfect. All the wives are perfect, and everything is perfect. And then you find out that they're basically um, there is a nefarious reason that they are all so perfect. Are they robots? Isn't Bette Midler in it? I think so. Maybe. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but as a kid seeing the previous word, I, I thought they were. It was about robots. Women that are robots. Um. It. Kind of it nefarious. Kind of, so it, what it is is that it's, you know, Nicole Kidman uncovers and it's not giving spoilers, mm. but I guess it's kind of giving spoilers. I mean, if you don't know about the Stepford Wives. This was 20 years ago. We can go ahead and talk about yeah, it. Yeah. So it's they're all very successful women and the men have felt kind of belittled and lesser. And so this is an opportunity where, you know, for instance, in Nicole Kidman's situation, she had a tragic situation happen with her work, and so she was really burned out, and this was an opportunity to move. But it's almost, it's kind of related a little bit to Barbie. Now the men are being the powerful ones, and they have a boys club, and it's like they've computed these women to be able to be the housewife and care for their husband and not be focused on how brilliant they were as writers or doctors or CEOs. And there is one robot. And that's kind of the founder of it all. But the rest of the women are real women. They have just been kind of, I mean, brainwashed, I, I, brainwashed, I, I, I guess. I think it's brainwashed. Or, I think it's brainwashing. Yeah. Um, I'm struggling now because there's a way more recent movie where there was a, a similar. Glenn Close is uh, who's in that. Okay. I'm foggy on it. But there was a movie recently with Florence Pugh uh, and um, the guy from One Direction. Oh, uh, yeah. Harry Styles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw that movie. The story elements sound kind of the, almost the same. Anyway, there don't is. want to be keeping up with any of those Joneses. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Because it's always, again, here's the message with that is you don't really know what's actually happening mm-hmm. and it may not be real. Next on the list is a 2019 thriller called Parasite. I've seen this one. It's a South Korean film, so subtitles. Mm. But 
I like that because Abby and I are old and we watch all of our television shows with subtitles. I've started having it on, especially like at night so I can have the volume down low. That's how we are because the kids are sleeping. We keep the volume a little lower. I'm interested. We, we should we should have this conversation sometime. Maybe not today, but, you know, a lot of film snob people, you know, if you talk about watching films with, with subtitles, like, oh, I don't like watching a foreign language movie if it only has subtitles because then I'm reading and I don't want to have to read. And they're like, oh, you can't read and watch the movie at the same time. And ew, you suck. But if there's a lot of dialogue, I'm sitting reading the whole time and not seeing what's actually taking place on the screen. So I don't mind reading. I mean, I, but I'll read a book all day, but I don't want to be distracted from the action that is taking place on the screen that's actually being acted out. And I don't know how I, I have not ever figured out how to read and see what's happening at the same time. It's weird. It's kind of a learned thing because I, I, I couldn't do that either. I'm like, how am I supposed to read and watch the action? But you train your brain to kind of go back and forth. It's mm. hard to explain, but mm. it becomes second nature. Yeah. But anyways, this Korean thriller is about this very poor family who works for a very rich family. It's a thriller and the poor family ends up like living in their basement without telling them. And it's about social, I guess, injustice and trying to keep up with the Joneses and the links these people will go to keep up with the Joneses. And it's a little creepy. And the bonus one on this list is The Truman Show, 1998. Classic. So this was Jim Carrey. And while not directly about keeping up with the Joneses, this is a film that explores the ideas of manufactured reality and the dangers of conformity. Mm -hmm. Yep. Filmed in Seaside, 30A. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting movie. Okay, so what is dysmorphia? I just, like I mean, cold December. Did I make those lyrics up? I don't know. <laughs> that is some, that is some, I don't know. Dark December. That's so, what, is. what is money dysmorphia? Today's mm. version of keeping up with the Joneses. It's a term used to describe a distorted and unhealthy relationship with money. It's like body dysmorphia, where someone has a distorted perception of their own body, but instead of focusing on physical appearances, it focuses on financial standing. Whether you're distorted because you actually are good, you have plenty of money, but you feel like you're poor, mm -hmm. or you don't have a lot of money and you feel, you like, feel like you're rich. Yeah. So this is both sides of this. This yeah. is not just one or the other. We have a lot of clients who do both. We have clients who come in and are like, oh, I can't afford this. And we're like, no, you're good. And then we have clients that come in and are, we're like, hey, what, what the hell? You're spending money like you've got all the money in the world. And they're like, oh. So this is different than just being labeled a penny pincher or spending like a drunken sailor. It's more about well, it being I mean, a lie. Like if you're a penny pincher, you actually have a ton of money, but you're convincing yourself you don't. Is that kind of what this is? I mean, this is a broader thing that we've kind of talked about before with the relationship with money, your own views, and like people can be categorized of different things, the fear of never having enough money, fear of running out of money, things like that. And so those are more the bigger, broader terms. And yeah, penny pincher, spending like a drunken sailor, all of that. I think this is kind of a true idea that, you know, some of these younger kids and stuff or, or adults, whoever really is thinking like they can afford to do this if they spend their money and buy this car, buy this house, do this, then they'll end up having the money somehow through osmosis. They'll get the better job because they have the nicer car and better clothes. I think that part of what you have to keep in mind is that is basically there are degrees to anything. And just because I eat healthy and exercise, not that I necessarily eat healthy and exercise, but let's say hypothetically that I eat healthy and exercise, that doesn't mean that I automatically have body dysmorphia, that I automatically have some sort of eating disorder or something like that. It just means that I want to take care of myself. In the same way, 
you have degrees of the way you treat money. We've talked about this a million mm-hmm. times. There's certain things that have affected the way you think of money and the way that you treat money in your life, the things that have affected you. And there are varying degrees. You know, you might call somebody a penny pincher, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have money dysmorphia. It just means that they really watch their money and they really make sure that every dime and penny is fully valued. And they may have a healthy understanding of they know what they're spending. Yeah, yeah. But then there could be somebody like, I can sit there and show them a financial plan. We can show them the numbers and show they can spend this money. But they're still like, are you sure I can go and buy these new tennis shoes? And it's like, yes. But that goes to like their biases and them trying to understand So that's more the dysmorphia. Yeah. When she described it, she said it's a term used to describe a distorted and unhealthy relationship with money. It's distorted. You're seeing a reflection of your money situation in a funhouse mirror. You know, it's, it's completely not actually what is. You're seeing it in the wrong way, in the wrong light. Okay, so nearly half of millennials, 46%, and 44% of Gen Z say they're obsessed with the idea of being rich from a recent uh, Credit Karma study. And then 48% of those surveyed from Gen Z and 59% of millennials say they feel behind financially. Okay, so obsessed with the idea of being rich. Yeah, I wonder what constitutes as obsessed because I think we all want to be rich. Why would you not want to? Yeah, I want to be rich. I'd like to be rich. I think on a daily basis, you know, probably crosses my mind a couple of times like, oh, gee, what would I do if I had enough money to buy a Mercedes? That might have to do with the fact that I drive past the Mercedes dealership every day. But, you know, <laughs> still, it crosses my mind. That doesn't mean that I'm obsessed with it. So how, what, what is obsession? <laughs> and I think these younger generations are, quote, obsessed because they grew up with the Kardashians. They grew up with these reality shows about mm-hmm. these super yachts that are how much per day to rent. Mm-hmm. You know, they're... I love those shows. They're surrounded by it. And that is not reality. Yeah. But I think... They think it is, or it's obtainable. And that's where it's we're going to run into the issues because they need to almost have like pop ups on that video of, you know, the Kardashians and be like, that's borrowed from this designer. That's borrowed from this. They're leasing this vehicle. They're renting this. I vividly remember when I was younger saying something to my mom and I'm like, oh, yeah, they always have the new stuff. They just got a brand new car. And it's like, well, but they could be upside down. They could be up to their eyeballs in debt. And that was really when I remember understanding, oh, you know, we talk about people using other people's money, but it's when you look at your balance sheets, you look at your net worth statement. If your liability list is way longer than your assets list, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. People that have gotten to a certain status, they're not spending a lot of their own money But they're also, you know, if they have to, they're leveraging funds. They're doing things like that. And so I think that people are trying to keep up. And think about as simple as back to like elementary, middle school, trying to keep up with your friend circle. You know, there's a level of competition in humanity, I think, that you're never going to beat out of people. So people are always going to be competitive with those around them. But again, is your view actually realistic? You know, I had a conversation with somebody not so recently, but within the last couple of years, I had a conversation with somebody who was upset that they had received a job with a starting position and a starting salary. They were basically right out of college, and they were only making $100,000 a year. And they were like, I'm not making enough. I'm not going to be able to, you know, my employer isn't paying me enough. I don't have enough. I need to be here. They obviously undervalue me, getting really angry about this insult of a salary. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, you have got to calm down. And you know, it was a it was a millennial Gen Z. I don't I don't know exactly how old they were, but you know, that idea that they they feel behind financially comes from a couple of different perspectives. First of all, as as we've discussed generationally before, finances are very different nowadays for people who are just starting off than they were 20 years ago or 40 years ago or 60 years ago. But also, you have these people that just have, for whatever reason, they feel like they should absolutely have a $100,000 a year job, paying job. And, you know, it's like, well, what gave you that impression? And I really genuinely don't know where somebody gets that idea. I need to start off in a 3,000 square foot house. You know, anything less than that, I'm not hitting my mark. And I'm 25 years old. What? What? I think it's situational, too. And where you grow up, who you're around, that makes you feel like, okay, I need to have a house by this point. I need to have Mm -hmm. a family and kids by this point. I need to be able to retire at this point. And you hear people bragging and talking about it. But it's kind of, we had some friends that they traveled all the time. And I'm like, how are they affording to do all this? Mm. And it was like, well, they were very cautious about always um, packing a lunch and about, you know, when they're in town and in home, they try and really cut their expenses so they can't afford to go on travel. But to someone who's just looking at their social media, they're like, Mm -hmm. they're always traveling. They're always living it big. How much are they making? What are they doing? And so you then could have this dysmorphia and be like, well, I make good money. I should do that too. I should travel too. I should do that. But then you've got the situation where there's people that make so much money and they're like, oh, I make a bunch of money. It'll be fine. And it's like, um, that doesn't always mean the same thing. You yeah. can make a lot of money and spend a lot of money. And Yeah. And you can spend way more than you make, even though you think you're making a ton. I mean, if I'm a victim of anything, it's probably sort of like, oh man, we've got, you know, we got this money. For instance, all of our kids have graduated from college or almost graduated from college. So we don't, we don't have those expenses anymore weighing us down. It's like free money. Oh my God, we got this money that we've never had before. It's been so long since we were uh, empty nesters. So the tendency is to go like, oh, we can afford it. But again, I want to, I want to go back to, to what we were saying earlier. You know, there's a difference between sort of like overestimating how much extra you're actually going to have and really having a distorted view of what it is that you possess. It's it's very simple for us to sit down and go, okay, we now have this income and our income hasn't changed and we now have this expense that's gone away. And if we map it out, we know exactly how much we have to spend versus what we used to have to spend. The idea that I went, we're rich! For a second, because our kids were out of college, you know, that's not necessarily what we're talking about, because, you know, you might you might think, oh, man, we're going to we're going to make it make it big. But if you can address the situation and, and actually come to terms with, you know, what you're capable of and what resources you actually have, then you'll be OK. I mean, I think of like the kid who has a credit card and it's just like charge it, charge it, charge it, charge it, charge it. Like I can afford it. I've got, you know, this credit card, we can spend it. And then it's like reality clicks in Mm -hmm. like Isla Fisher movie, Confessions of a Shopaholic. Like Mm -hmm. she really just kept spending and spending and spending. And even when she's in that store and pulling out multiple different cards, trying to charge it just to get this scarf that she didn't really need. That is definitely like she has money dysmorphia because she's just like, I've got this money. I'm going to spend it. And not even thinking about all the debt piling up. So it's that end of the spectrum. But then it's also the ones that have been told they really have been saving. They've done the right thing, but they still don't believe 
that they can afford to retire or they can afford to get a new car. I feel like money dysmorphia, there's a spectrum. And I feel like we're all on it somewhere. I'll get real for a second. It's never enough. Abby and I got married. We were dirt poor, had $10 to our name, right? And we were married. Then we lived in a thousand square foot house and we kept dreaming about, we just got to make it to the suburbs. It'll be perfect. Then we get to the suburbs. We have a great house. Our kids have a great life. But you see your neighbors that have a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I've got to obtain that. The Kardashians probably struggle with it. It's never enough. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we're on the spectrum. Everybody suffers with it on some level. I feel like it's human nature. Yeah, whether it's your neighbors or your family members or something, you always are kind of wanting to bandwagon. You want to have the cool stuff. You want to have the new stuff. And especially, I would think, as parents, you want the best for your children. And this episode is not to say, like, you don't need to do that. You, But it's, you know, kind of figure out if it fits in your plan and what's the best move with it. There's two other terms on here. So two types of money dysmorphia. Imposter syndrome. This is when someone feels like they don't deserve their money or success, and they constantly fear being exposed as a fraud. Mm. You know, a lot of millennials suffer from imposter syndrome, not just dollar speaking, but have y'all ever heard that term? Yeah. It's young professionals, I think. You you feel like you're a phony, like you're going to get exposed eventually, even though it's a lie. Mm. Well, so... I just went to this uh, women's financial conference, and so it's all women in there who are in the financial industry, and this great speaker was up. She has been head of marketing for Pepsi, for Apple. She's actually the one that negotiated to get Beyonce on the Super Bowl, powerhouse woman, and she mentioned imposter syndrome and talked about how, especially as women, but again, this can play into a lot of things. We don't post on social media our raise we just got or us going on this great trip or us, you know, buying these brand new pair of shoes or things like that because we are constantly thinking someone's going to think we didn't deserve this or someone thinks we're going to be bragging or we're showing our money out everywhere. And so we want to be more held back. And she said, if it's true, put it out there. Quit trying to hide. But it's bragging if it's not true. But if it is truth, put it out there and then put like, I worked hard. I busted my ass this week. I have saved up and I finally bought this Birkin bag that I love. She said, be truthful about it. That really resonated with me. And that kind of goes with this imposter syndrome of you have that fear that some people are like, and I've done that. I'm like, well, I don't want to say that I did this or bought this or did that because I don't want other people to be like, oh, isn't it nice having that money, doing this, doing that. But it's like, I know in the back of my mind, like, I planned for this. I figured this out. You're going to be concerned that you're either going to be thought of as being uh, irresponsible with your money and spending money in a way you shouldn't, or you're going to be worried that people are looking at you going like, wow, it must be nice. But with imposter syndrome, I mean, it's almost as though even more than that, like every not everybody, but a lot of people are worried about what others are going to think of them and what persona they're projecting. But this idea that Um, you don't actually deserve to be where you are. That's something that I think is difficult and a person can struggle with no matter how qualified they are, no matter matter what their talents and skills are. If you just perceive that you're not truly deserving to be there, then in terms of success or whatever, then, you know— how do you convince someone otherwise? I mean, this kind of may go into it, and we know we've called myself out on this for several things, but I almost have like guilt in my head sometimes, which is why a lot of times I end up picking up the tab when we go places. 
because it's I know other people's financial situations because a lot of them end up being clients that are mm-hmm. friends of mine or something like that. Or I just know that, you know, I feel like I may be more fortunate than them. Of course, then we've talked about this on me before. Then I put myself in a bad situation because I'm trying to take care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oops, I need to take care yeah, of me Yeah, you're showing generosity, but you're also avoiding some really uncomfortable awkward situations. You're keeping them from being in those awkward situations, which is generous of you. And I think most people who probably have this have had a situation because it's like, I know, I mean, it's been years, but I know there was a situation where it's like, well, you know, you make more money than me. Can't you pay the majority of it? Ouch. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of people have probably had something happen that has made them, even though it could have been, you know, one person that was whatever. I think that kind of clicks with it. Scarcity mindset. This is the second type of money dysmorphia. Scarcity mindset. This is when someone believes that there's never enough money to go around. So they're always focused on saving and not spending. One of the statistics that we've got is that a quarter, 25%, one in four people who uh, have money dysmorphia actually reported having uh, over $30,000 in savings. And so they're thinking that they don't have enough, that money is scarce, that they really need to be saving, that they can't spend anything because they don't have anything, and yet they've they've got a, a savings account that's got $30,000 in it. Not to say that $30,000 is a ton of money, depending on what your expenses are, but, yeah. you know, th- $30,000 is respectable. You're not broke if you got $30,000, right? And if it's in savings, it's not money that's flowing in and out on a, on a regular basis. You're you're maintaining that level, so you're you're doing okay. You need yeah. to you need to take a step back. I see this a lot of times when I do a financial plan for somebody and mm-hmm. they're like, "This is great, but I don't know that I believe it." And then I have to then back up the facts and show the numbers and show where I've run this. And so I would say if you're feeling this, then Take an opportunity to talk to somebody and check the numbers and see if you're on track. But it's also kind of like, Cam, you were talking about your different situation, how much you needed to save when it was just you and Abby versus how much you need to save now that you've got all your kids and then, you know, how much you're going to need to save next year. Every single year it's going to change and with the power of inflation. So if you're planning on only saving $30,000 and keeping that in your savings account from now until you're 90 may not work, but always good to have that perspective and to kind of just take a look and see. But I totally get this. And this goes back to biases of there's never enough. These are the people that never enough. (laughs) These are the people that never want to retire because they feel like they can't handle not having an income coming in. Mm -hmm. They're worried about where the money's coming from. And that's where a lot of financial coaching comes in of showing here's where it is. Here is the Monte Carlo scenario where we've run a thousand different scenarios and you are successful. You can do this. That is a legitimate fear. Both mm-hmm. both of these, imposter syndrome and scarcity mindset, are legitimate dysmorphias and things that happen. It's a great time to bring up the flexibility of a financial plan, Katie. You know more than anybody. It's a living, breathing document, as I've heard you say, because think about just five years ago, a nice house was $300,000 <laughs> and now you have to budget Five fifty or six hundred for a in quotes nice house, and so life keeps getting more expensive, and so your plan has to kind of follow along and evolve. Let's roll through some of the symptoms and signs of money dysmorphia. Preoccupation with money and finances, even while financially secure. By preoccupation, I think they mean it's not that you're being conscious and careful. It's constantly on your mind. And I guess that goes back to, to, to what we said earlier about millennials being obsessed. This is sort of a the idea that you're constantly thinking about, you know, 
where the next whatever is going to come from. Yeah. Uh, second symptom is obsessive comparison to others based on wealth. That's your classic keeping up with the Joneses yeah. right there. So, so true. And that's different perspectives. And it's kind of, you know, Cam, you and I have talked about this before of feeling guilty when we do our side hustles mm -hmm. and the price we charge people because we're like, well, we know it only takes us 15 minutes to do that. But it's like, all the years of schooling, all the different education, the experiences that it brought us to this. Katie, I undercharge. Let's just be honest. <laughs> you do for sure. Um, okay. Constantly fearing financial insecurities. Mm. Absolutely. And it's, you know, that's why we started this podcast because finance is in every single aspect of your daily life. And that's why we try and, you know, bring it in a fun perspective because those insecurities are real and different things are going to happen just as, you know, your mood changes, your tastes change, your financial insecurities are going to change because mm. of things that happen. Guilt and shame over spending regardless of need. Yep. <laughs> and this is one of those that can touch in several different areas. Like, you know. We, Did you we, really need those concert tickets? Yeah. We, and we've, <laughs> we've talked about the, uh, we've talked about the uh, Big Bang Theory episode before where Penny borrows money from Sheldon and I then feels bad when she uses some money to buy takeout food. And she's like, I'm going to pay you back. You know, obviously people experience this. <laughs> the final symptom is poor financial decision making, including overspending and compulsive saving. You guys, there are two sides to this coin. Uh, we always think about overspending. That's the naughty one. But compulsive saving can be bad too. Yes, saving for the future, that's super important. But if you save too much and you're not living life, what is the point? I know that's something we talk to our clients a lot yeah. about here. It's like, yes, save, but also you need to enjoy life. You've mm -hmm. worked hard for this. Spend a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. Go on a vacation. Buy that, something nice. That 25-year-old client I had who was putting like 50% of her paycheck into her 401k and then was like eating on ramen and was couldn't afford to get a new pair of jeans. And I'm like, honey, you're going to be okay. Drop that 401k contribution down a little bit. Yeah. It'll yeah. be okay. I mean, it'd be one thing if you had so much disposable income that you're like, I literally can't do anything with half my paycheck. Okay. Then put it in savings, you know, put it into investments, put it into a 401k, whatever. But if you're like starving <laughs> yeah, in order to save money, then yeah. something's yeah. wrong. Okay. Common contributing factors, childhood experiences with money. Mm-hmm. Poverty, debt. We have talked about this. Your relationship with money is very much related to how you grew up with it. And that's why it's important when you get into relationships, you understand where the other person's coming from. But then that's also going to evolve as well as trauma or different events happen. If you suddenly lose your job, then your entire understanding of finances is going to change. That's life in general, mm -hmm. like whether that be your personality, how you respond to criticism, just everything about your life is kind of how you were raised and the experiences you had. And money is no different the way you treat it. Uh, next common contributing factor is internalized beliefs about self-worth and money. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worthy. And then finally, societal that pressure. World. We're not We're worthy. Not worthy. <laughs> societal pressure. Societal pressure and financial comparison. You know, we've covered it. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like that's probably hard in grown siblings and stuff like that comparing to, you know, Right there, you compare to your friends and your neighbors, but then when mom and dad are like, well, your brother is so successful doing this and that. Yeah. It's sounded very doomy gloomy here, but there is light at the end of the tunnel right here with the coping strategies and resources. 
The first one being developing financial awareness. Wow, what a broad thing to say. How could somebody possibly do that? <laughs> I don't Listening know. Listening to Bullcast. Mm. <laughs> cognitive reframing. Ah. That's just... Cognitive reframing. So what is this? Change your mind. Like, change <laughs> your mindset. Rewire your brain. Rewire yeah. your brain. Just, just... Listen, if you're having problems with this, just, just rewire change, your just brain. Just rewire. <laughs> just like, you know, open the lid, go in there and rewire some stuff. Like, but, tell the mouse to do it. Okay, so I, I will say that reframing is a concept that actually has some merit in that our brains are actually a lot more flexible than we give them credit for. If you have a certain way of thinking of something and you recognize that that is not a healthy way of thinking of Mm -hmm. it, you can train yourself to think a different way. You can reframe this in a different perspective and think about things a different way and basically discover a new path to get somewhere. Your brain will rewire to that new path and to that new perspective. So it can work. Uh, You know, it's a thing, but it's a little bit more complicated than us just going, okay, if you got a problem with this, just reframe it. (laughs) But there are studies out there that this is an actual practice that works. So if you're interested in trying it, there are resources. Next is uh, values-based spending. I got nothing on this. I don't know what the hell they mean by this. It's spending based on what's important to you. It's kind of like when we talked about the Mardi Gras episode, I guess. It's like with your values and what you want to spend your money on is how I would take this. Mm. But obviously, I'd say, you know, if your values are you're a diehard Swifty, then but you're not able to pay your bills. Yeah. Don't don't put your money on that. And see, when I think of values, I think of like morals and values. Well, I could be like with tithing and stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah that's, very true. That, that is always, I will tell you, that's a very awkward conversation that I do have to have sometimes where I have to tell somebody, I understand it's super important that you give to the church or you give to these different charities, but this is how it's impacting your financial situation. And if you could volunteer your time and maybe cut back as much as you're spending at this exact moment, you will better yourself. And that is always really hard because I've had situations where somebody's putting so much towards their values, something they believe in, and they're hurting themselves. Mm. But on the other hand, let's say that we're talking about getting out of the dysmorphia mindset value, not values, but value-based spending, actually understanding the the value that you're getting from something that you're spending money on and that the money that you have is worth, you know, recognizing that the money that you have can buy certain value for you. Thinking of it in that perspective so that you're sort of, again, okay, I, I have this money and this money is worth this much in value to mm-hmm. me, that might be helpful in coming to terms with, yeah. you know, the fact that maybe you're not as broke as you think you are. That makes okay. sense. The fourth coping mechanism, oh, it's a good one, building financial security by seeking a financial advisor. Mm. Mm, yes, yes, please do that. That's a smart idea. I, I, I feel like we're so, we're being so flippant about that, but we do. We, no, t- we talk about that almost every episode. I don't so, want to yeah. like shamelessly plug yeah. us or anything, but a financial advisor gives you that outside perspective because you have your own views. And especially if you're struggling with dysmorphia, a financial professional can help navigate you. Yeah. Again, I'm going to get on the TikTok box for a second. A financial advisor would be able to sit there and look at your situation on I've got this much in savings. I've got this much in student loans. I want to start saving for a down payment and be able to tell you this is the best way to do it versus if you start Googling on TikTok, should I pay student loans or house? And then it's going to be videos of like how to quickly pay off your student loans. 
And it's going to be general advice and not personalized advice. And so whether it is us helping you, whether it's somebody else, get someone who is asking your entire picture, not just one particular thing, and get that personalized advice. Mm-hmm. And that rolls into the next one. Yeah, because I think finally it's it's important for us to recognize dysmorphia is a real thing, whether it's a distorted perception of your body or a distorted perception of your financial situation. It, it is a real psychological condition, and there can be underlying causes as well that you can address. So it could be that you have anxiety, uh, generalized anxiety that, that adds to your dysmorphia, or you've got some issue with compulsion that adds to your dysmorphia. And, you know, all of these things sort of act together. So one thing that we are not and we do not claim to be, but that can help you is actually seeking out mental health support. Mm -hmm. Find somebody who is actually trained to deal with this sort of stuff with mental health issues and talk to them because, you know, it's okay to do that. Yeah. I mean, wrapping it up, kind of bullseye this episode been a heavy topic. It's a lot of stuff. It's it's reality. One of the lines that's written on here that I really want to kind of stress is the hope of empowerment for achieving a healthy relationship with money. You have a relationship with money. You have a relationship with food, with friends, with loved ones. Like your entire life is built on your relationship with your different aspects of your life. And so to Court's point, that may be something that a mental health professional needs to help you with to really get a good balance with it. But with any relationship, you've got to have a gut check with them and see how things are going. You've got to continue to take time to understand it and reevaluate it. And so look at money in a relationship term, and that may change some things. Bullseye. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. There's the closing bell. You've made it to the end of yet another episode of the Bullcast Podcast. If you liked what you heard and you'd like to hear more, please feel free to go to your favorite subscription service and sign up to have our podcast delivered directly to your device every single Thursday at noon. If you would like to find out more about Court, Cameron, Katie, or Nicole, please feel free to go to our website. That is bullcastpodcast.com. We've got our bios up there, some neat little pictures. You can leave a comment or suggest a topic you'd like to hear us talk about. And hey, I mentioned pictures. If you like pictures, we've got an Instagram handle. That is at Bullcast Podcast, and we've got an X handle. That is at Bullcast Podcast as well. We also have a Facebook page. That is Bullcast The Podcast. You can touch base with us there. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, Cameron, Katie, Court, and Nicole, all work at a place called Pickler Wealth Advisors. And if you'd like to find out more about us or find out about what we do, find out about what we can do for you, find out about our amazing team and our boss, David Pickler, then please feel free to go to that website. That website is picklerwealthadvisors.com. That's advisors with an O. Not an E. Ding. Ladies and gentlemen, we have given you everything you need to go forth and be happy about where you are financially. So for now, I'm Court. I'm Katie. I'm Cam. And we're done. Bye.